All right, so just to give an overview of where we've been, we started this series on the Holy Spirit, and the first part we just basically talked about who is the Holy Spirit. The next part we talked about is what does the Holy Spirit do? So we talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and this kind of uh, third section that we're in in this season of life is we're talking more specifically about spiritual gifts. Um, I think the right way to approach spiritual gifts is through the prism of love, which is something that I wanted to get across last week, which is what I think the Apostle Paul is emphasizing even in this section, because gifts are something that are given according to God's will, and even those extraordinary gifts are, are given by God's will, but that doesn't automatically mean that the person who received those gifts uh, uses them from a place of love. It doesn't automatically assume they have maturity of character to use those gifts well or properly. Uh, and so the reality is there might be people who have these extraordinary gifts. There might be people who have had an experience of uh, speaking in tongues or have these gifts of prophecy and can see things very clearly. And still uh, they need the character and to, to love people and to serve people and to be humble and those kinds of things. So when Paul talks about qualifications for certain offices like elder and deacon, uh, he doesn't actually emphasize uh, the giftedness. He emphasizes the quality of their character. He doesn't say you have to speak in tongue. He doesn't say you have to have the gift of prophecy. But what he emphasizes is that basically uh, you have the respect of people around you, of your family, of strangers, whatever it may be, and that you are a decent, godly human being. And I think that's really important to keep in mind when we start talking about some of these extraordinary gifts, and I want to frame it in that kind of context and <clears throat> I haven't talked about these gifts yet because uh, I wanted to focus not on the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but on the person of the Holy Spirit. And whenever we have, uh, when we, whenever we talk about these kinds of gifts or encounter these kinds of gifts, I think one of the dangers is we just kind of focus solely on those manifestations and we don't focus on who God is. And we elevate maybe the gifts rather than the one who gives them. And so I hope uh, right now we're kind of at a point where uh, you understand where I'm coming from in terms of emphasis. I hope you understand we're emphasizing God and the Holy Spirit. We have a high view of the word, right? Everything has to be according to what God says in his word. Spirit and word always go together. Um, and I hope you also understand the emphasis on character and the importance of love and those kinds of things, right? So now, now we're going to start talking about some of these extraordinary gifts. And I think it's probably been missing in a lot of at least reformed preaching. So I, I was like looking at like, uh, how many uh, uh, of the speakers that uh, a lot of us may know uh, have preached on 1 Corinthians 14, and what do they usually say about it? And at least from the Reformed tradition, they usually emphasize uh, the intelligibility of worship, <laughs> and they emphasize that God is a God of order. But then they don't seem to delve so much into gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues. So I'm going to do that today, Okay. Now, <clears throat> I think what also is clear, like, as I said, some of these things might be a little bit controversial, and, and uh, I don't know where everybody stands on these things, and if there's difference of opinion here, I think that's okay, okay? I think the key is we want to maintain unity, and we want to, we don't have to have agreement on all theological matters, uh, but what unites us is this common faith that we have that binds us to God through the blood of Christ, and I think that's what we want to keep central. But as Paul transitions from this famous chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, he writes this, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so Paul, he's not simply saying that 
there are spiritual gifts or that you should just be open to spiritual gifts, but he's taking it a step further, and he is actually saying that spiritual gifts are something that you should earnestly desire. And when he says we should earnestly desire them, he then says, so that we may prophecy. Okay? Now, if you have another translation of the Bible, you might notice that your translation could be a little bit different. And the reason for that is because this verse is a little bit difficult to translate because the Greek is vague and it's translated in a number of ways. So some translations might say uh, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, um, especially that of prophecy, especially the gift of prophecy. Uh, But whatever the translation is, I think the point is clear. Prophecy is a good thing and Paul's encouraging it, okay? That's the basic point. Now, I know for some, as I said, prophecy sounds a little bit unusual, Um, And maybe you're not sure even what the word prophecy means, so here's a simple definition. Uh, Let's call prophecy a revelation, a human report on a divine revelation. So something that God wants to say and communicate, and prophecy is a human report on what God is saying and communicating through uh, his own revealed will. Now, if someone said that they had a prophetic word for you, Maybe you'll dismiss it, and maybe you'll kind of say, that's kind of weird, that's kind of strange, that's a little bit crazy talk. And I think prophecy usually gets associated with people who make these predictions about the future and uh, people who make these predictions about when Jesus is going to return. And that's usually what gets in the news and what people hear about. is like, oh, this guy predicted that Jesus was going to come back in 1989, and 1989 came, and Jesus didn't come back. And another guy made a prophecy and said, Jesus is going to come back in... uh, uh, in the year 2000, and then the year 2000 came, and Jesus didn't come back, right? And that's kind of what, when you hear the word prophecy, what people think about. Uh, so it's, I, I can understand why people get a little bit skeptical about uh, words of prophecy. And uh, at the same time, I think there are other people here who have experienced prophetic words in your life, and your faith was built up because of it. And that word may have been very important and have may even led you to make a major decision in your life. And in retrospect, it was the very word that you needed to hear. So you have these two spectrums. Let me tell you where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a place, and let me just be completely honest with you, where I don't have much personal experience with prophetic ministry. I don't recall ever receiving a prophetic word from someone, let alone a prophetic word that turned out to be incredibly accurate and true. Uh, But I think that's because I haven't really been exposed to it. Uh, Because as I said, I come from the Reformed tradition, and in the Reformed tradition, they understand prophetic ministry to be the preaching of the word. So right now what I'm doing, they would consider prophetic ministry because it's expounding on God's revelation in scripture. And so uh, I I haven't had much personal experience with it. And if that's where you land, then that's fine. I can understand it. Uh, And it isn't the fact that prophetic words are strange and foreign to me, but I I had to, personally, I had to wrestle with it theologically, okay? Theologically, I was open to actually all these other extraordinary gifts, like speaking in tongues, right? I was open to, like, gifts of healing. I was open to. But uh, here's why I struggled with prophecy, it's because I had a certain understanding about the nature of Scripture. And uh, my understanding was Scripture is God's final, sufficient, uh, complete revelation from God. And God speaks, uh, uh, I guess, in a, in a uh, climactic way through Scripture. And so uh, because of that, I was like, so God doesn't have to speak then outside of Scripture because he spoke in his word. That's where I was coming from. But then I was challenged to uh, rethink that view 
Uh, and one of the re- a couple of the reasons why I was challenged is, you know, I met some people who are, have greatly benefited from prophetic ministry and from a prophetic word. Um, I heard uh, p- people like pastors and theologians that I respect giving talks about prophetic ministry, and I was like, yeah, that does seem biblical. Uh, I started to read books on prophetic ministry by actually people who had the same view of scripture that I did. And uh, I had like all these conversations about prophetic ministry with people that I deeply respect. So uh, after these things, I, you know, I became open to it. And I started to say, let me re-examine my understanding and my view of prophetic ministry. And uh, I think where I land today is, I think it's important. <laughs> right? I think it's important. So <clears throat> uh, I think one of the reasons probably why I was not open to it in the past is uh, I always ask the question, but what if someone gives a prophetic word and that word is not really from God? That could be dangerous, right? That could cause a lot of harm. But then I heard someone ask the opposite question, saying this, but what if God is trying to speak to someone and they aren't open to receiving it? <laughs> it's like That could be actually dangerous, maybe even more dangerous as well. So uh, sometimes you know, we want to be very careful, and I think being careful is a good thing. But then we have to think about the alternative, and maybe the alternative is not so good either. So it's not really finding a middle way. I don't think the middle way is the right spot to be in, uh, but we want to actually land on the spot where we think the Bible lands, right? So I think, I think it's that. We want to be open that God might be speaking, but at the same time, we want to be discerning that the word that uh, is being spoken to us could be wrong. And if you're giving a prophetic word, I think it's okay to say, hey, I could be wrong, but I think God is saying, right? And uh, there's no certainty, there's no finality, and at the same time, it continues to be a word of encouragement. Now, later in this chapter, Paul, he talks about an unbeliever being present in a worship gathering and having the secrets of his heart disclosed, and as a result of that, it leads to this unbeliever falling on his face in worship, declaring that God is really among them, and presumably, I think the secrets of his heart are disclosed through the prophetic word, and that prophetic word brings him to a place of, one, I think becoming a believer, and two, Uh, bringing him to a place of worship. Now, there's a story about Charles Spurgeon. I don't know if you know who Charles Spurgeon is, but he was a very famous preacher uh, around the 19th century. He's actually a preacher that a lot of reform types like, so that's why I'm using him intentionally. And uh, he he would draw a crowd. He was like the Tim Keller before Tim Keller, right? He was that famous of a preacher. And he would draw crowds, and people would come specifically to hear him preach. And he was not known as someone who... uh, advocated these extraordinary gifts all the time, but on occasion, I just clapped. Peter pointed out, I started clapping. That's uh, unintentional. But on occasion, let me keep my hands right here. But on occasion, uh, while he would preach, he actually did experience prophetic revelation, and he talks about uh, one of these experiences in his autobiography. He says this, uh, one day he was preaching. There was a man who was sitting there who was a shoemaker. Uh, Actually, one day he was preaching, and he heard God say to him to say this. So he said, uh, I think there's a man sitting here who is a shoemaker. He keeps a shop open on Sundays. And last Sunday, he took nine pence and there was four pence profit out of it. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. Right? That's what he said in the middle of his sermon. Very specific, right? Uh, and, you know, it's kind of older language. So I think it's basically saying, you know, he improperly stole four pence by maybe overcharging or something like that. Uh, now, Charles Virgin, I don't think he 
knew that day what came out of it, right? He just felt like he had to say it, and God wanted him to say it. Later on, there's a city missionary that met this man, and he saw this man, and he was actually reading some of Charles Spurgeon's sermons. And this uh, missionary says, do you know Mr. Spurgeon? And the man said, yes, I, I know him. I became a believer when I sat under his preaching. And then he proceeded to give his testimony. And this was his testimony. One day, I came to hear him preach, and during the sermon, he told the congregation about a shoemaker who kept his shop open on Sundays, and, uh, you know, I was a shoemaker, and I kept my shop open on Sundays, and I wouldn't have minded that. But then he said someone took nine pence and made four pence profit out of it, and that previous Sunday, I did take nine pence that day and made four pence profit, and how he knew that, I could not tell, right? Then it struck me that God was speaking to my soul through him. I closed my shop the next Sunday. At first, I was afraid to hear him preach. And if you have that experience, uh, you can understand that. Oh my gosh, is this guy going to tell me something uh, that I did right to the crowd again? But so initially, he has this fear. He's like, uh, he was afraid to go, but then he decided to go and hear him preach. And after he went in that service, the Lord met him and saved his soul. Right? Quite amazing, isn't it? Now, going to my point, what if Charles Spurgeon heard that from the Lord and never considered giving or sharing that word, right? What would have happened to this guy? So, sure, maybe Charles Spurgeon could have been wrong, and I think a lot of people are wrong when they give a prophetic word. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it doesn't come true. That's why we need discernment. But in this case, that prophetic word turned out to be the exact thing that this man needed to hear, and it brought him to the Lord. And that's, I think that's what Paul is talking about later on in chapter 14 when he talks about the secrets of this unbeliever's heart are disclosed and he falls on his face worshiping God. I think it was that kind of experience with Charles Spurgeon's ministry. And so I thought, you know, people give prophetic words that are not from God all the time, and of course that's not good, but what if someone, uh, what if God is giving a prophetic word that is not being communicated or not being received? That would not be good either, okay? So we where am I? Today, I'm open to the fact that God speaks to his people. Uh, I am open to the fact that uh, through maybe visions and dreams or impressions or whatever it may be, that God is speaking to his people. I think deep down all of us have a sense of that and believe that because that's probably what we pray. God, like, lead me, show me, right? Speak to me. And, uh, of course, that word always has to be in line with the Bible, so uh, you have to test and see if that word is true and if that word is accurate, so you need discernment. Uh, if you are the one receiving that prophetic word, uh, you want to exercise discernment. And in that way, it's actually no different than, like, a sermon, right? You know, in a sermon, I try to communicate uh, my interpretation and application of God's revelation through his word, but at the same time, my sermon is not infallible. Uh, I can make mistakes, you need to exercise discernment on what you should hear and what you re should receive sometimes. There might be an error in it. I might misunderstand or misinterpret or misapply something. And even though my sermons are not infallible and they are subject to potential error, there is still a sense of weightiness that God could be speaking to me through this sermon, right? So I kind of look at a prophetic word in that light where it's not necessarily an infallible word, but that doesn't mean it's not from God and we should be open to receiving it while exercising discernment for it. And that may be how God is actually wanting to build us up. You know, by the way, there are instances in the book of Acts where this happens. Um, there's a prophet named Agabus in the book of Acts, and he gives a word of prophecy in Acts chapter 11, and he says a famine, a great famine is coming, and a great famine ended up 
coming in the days of Claudius. So as a result of that prophetic word, the disciples, they sent relief to the brothers living in Judea. Agabus turned out to be right in his prophetic word in Acts chapter 11. And then you read in Acts chapter 21, Agabus, he gives another word of prophecy by, he takes Paul's belt, right? And uh, he binds it, his own hands and his feet with it. And then he says to Paul, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So his prophetic word is basically telling Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be bound. This is what's going to happen to you. As a result of that prophecy, people are like, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, right? Don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul, he is, um, he's determined and he says, you know what? I'm ready to die for Jesus. So I'm going to go to Jerusalem anyway, and he goes to Jerusalem. But here's the interesting um, epilogue to that story. What ended up happening was that Paul was actually bound by the Romans, not the Jews. The Jews did not hand Paul over to the Romans. They actually tried to kill him through mob violence until he was rescued by the Romans. And so, in a sense, Agabus didn't really get the details of that prophetic word right when he gave that prophetic word, right? But he did give a right prophetic word when he talked about the famine, and uh, the people who implored Paul not to go into Jerusalem, uh, they didn't rightly interpret or apply that word of prophecy because God, he, Paul felt like the Spirit wanted him to go to Jerusalem for some particular ministry. And so Paul, he had to use his own discernment as well and did what he thought the Spirit was telling him to do by going to Jerusalem. So even in the New Testament, you have like kind of these like um, different kinds of words of prophecy. Now, as we go through this chapter, Paul is actually going to have a few things to say about the proper use of prophetic ministry, which we're going to see later on in chapter 14. And so we'll get to that. So I'm not going to talk about some of those things today. But today, I just want to make two simple points from this text. First point is this. Prophecy is meant to build up, encourage, and console. And second point is this. Prophecy is a gift that we should desire. Those two points. Now, uh, Prophecy is a word that's meant to build up, encourage, and console, and that's what it says in verse 3. So if you read verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And therefore, prophecy is something that should be useful and fruitful for people who hear it. It should always build them up towards faith. It should always build them up towards the work of ministry, and it should not result in people feeling discouraged or torn down uh, or in despair. Uh, one of these books that I was reading uh, was telling a story, and it was a young man, and this young man says, hey, I think I have prophetic gifts. And so this author was like, oh, okay. Uh, uh, why do you think you have prophetic gifts? And this young man says, I can always see what is wrong with people and what is wrong with churches and what is wrong with ministry. And so this guy was like, okay. Uh, so what has your experience been like in using that gift? And the young man said, man, my life is just filled with strife. Nobody likes me, right? Uh, people always get offended when I'm giving them the word of the Lord. And uh, this author says, well, this young man, he misunderstood what the point of prophetic ministry is. Now, it's not to say that you can never say anything negative, but at the end of the day, he says, right, if you have a gift, of, uh, a prophetic gift, then you also know how to build people up and encourage them in faith. Um, for this young man, maybe it was coming more from a judgmental spirit or immaturity or anger, but this author says real prophetic gifts is not simply about being able to see what's wrong with people, but it's being able to see how God wants to build them up. And he's getting that from this passage. If one has the gift of prophecy, then that means they have the ability to build up, encourage, and console people with the words of God. 
in the Bible, Timothy, I think, is an example of somebody who benefited from prophetic ministry. Um, again, this is what I'm talking about, like, when, you know, I just had blind spots. I, I, I completely missed the detail about uh, Timothy, but then I read First and Second Timothy, and it's, like, right there. So Timothy was... Uh, like Paul's spiritual son in the faith, and there's these two letters addressed to him in the Bible. And in those letters, Paul tells Timothy not to neglect the gift that he has, which was given to him by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on him. Then he also tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God, which was in him through the laying on of hands. And so in other words, Timothy was given this gift by prophecy through the laying on of hands of the elders, and this gift was given him to him so that he can do the work of ministry that God was calling him to do. And Paul's exhortation is this. Do not neglect that gift. Progress in using it and fan it into flames, which kind of tells us this. It tells us that when you receive a gift, we might receive it in embryonic form, but there's still a, a, a kind of uh, growing or progressing or developing or maturing that has to come with using gifts just as it is, it is for teaching, right? just as it is for leading or administration or mercy or any of those kinds of gifts. Sometimes you receive it in embryonic form and you have to grow in it and work on it and nurture it and cultivate it and use it. Timothy received a gift by prophecy and that gift would equip him to serve the Lord. Uh, I had another story of a pastor and he was talking about his first experience receiving prophecy and the reason I like this guy is he has a similar journey, right? He used to not believe it. He was a pastor for like maybe 10 years and uh, he is what, you know, theologically people would call a cessationist where they think uh, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in, in those kind of things like tongues and prophecy have ceased. Uh, but then uh, he had a, you know, he changed and he changed through exp- uh, a couple of experiences and so he's telling this story about the first time he uh, had an experience with prophecy. And he was at this uh, meeting. Um, I think it was John Wimber uh, of the Vineyard Movement. But anyway, he was at this meeting, and someone came over at this prayer meeting and says, uh, I think the Lord wants me to say something to you. And he said, you have been praying for, and he told him what he's been praying for. And this guy, he was like shocked. His name is Sam Storms. He's like shocked. He's like, he almost verbatim quoted the thing that I prayed for that morning. So he was like, he went back to his hotel room and he says, I got on my knees. And then he, he jokes around, not to pray. I got on my knees to look for microphones or any kind of bugs to see how does this guy know exactly what I prayed for, right? So he's like looking around his hotel room. And then, um, you know, eventually he conceded. You know, this is a word of prophecy from God. And as a result of that, you know how you felt? I mean, think about it. You're praying for something, and somebody can say, you know, God heard you praying for this, right? Uh, we assume that, but to hear somebody say through a word, God heard you praying for these things, how are you going to feel? And he's like, I felt incredibly encouraged. And there's like a sense of, yeah, we, in a sense, we know God is real, but then it takes it up higher. It's like, well, God is really real, <laughs> and he's really hearing me. And I've experienced uh, his, his goodness in that way through this word of prophecy. So you see what I'm trying to say is like this, this could potentially be a very important area or very important ministry that can be really be used to build up our faith and to encourage us uh, in various ways. So that's the first point. Second, 
prophecy is a gift that we should actually desire. Now, it's interesting that Paul assumes every believer has a pot- the potential to prophecy, and he doesn't simply make a distinction about who should and who should not prophecy. And I think the reason for that is, um, you know, let me get a little bit theological. You know, in the Old Testament, you had the prophet. You had certain people who were designated to be the prophet, and uh, they filled the office of prophet, and it was their job to basically give the oracles of God or the revelation of God or what God wanted to say Give that to the people. Now, when Jesus came to announce the coming of the kingdom, it was a cosmic shift in history. When Jesus died on the cross, uh, a lot of times we individualize it and internalize it. So we say when Jesus died on the cross, uh, we have salvation, we have uh, joy, we have peace, we have forgiveness of sin, and we kind of individualize it, which is good application of it. But uh, I want to encourage you to take a step back and just think, what did the coming of Jesus Christ, what is the gospel, the fact that Jesus came, died on the cross, um, and resurrected from the dead, what that did to the shape of cosmic reality, to everything. And it changed everything. And you can see this change because in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and people start to speak in various kinds of tongues. Now, it was such a strange phenomenon that people started mocking them and saying, look, they are drunk on wine. And after that, Peter, he stands up before them and he says, no, they're not drunk on wine, but something has happened. And then he quotes from the prophet Joel, uh, Joel 2, and Joel says this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I think what Peter's saying is that prophecy is fulfilled today after the coming of Jesus Christ and the sending of the spirit. And there is this kind of universality where young and old will see visions and dream and speak words of prophecy. Male and female will speak words of prophecy. I think because we live in this new age post Jesus coming, I think because we live in this age where the Spirit has come and filled the life of the church, there is kind of this um, expansion of power where it's no longer relegated to particular offices like it was in the Old Testament, but the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like the power is unleashed the temple curtain is torn in two. The presence of God and the fullness of spirit is unleashed and poured out upon the church. And that, that's why mission, at, at least in the book of Acts, was such a powerful thing and why so many people came to Christ. There was a power there. And I don't think anything has uh, changed since that point because I think the Holy Spirit continues to be real continues to be powerful, continues to be present, continues to disseminate gifts to all of his people. And so when Paul is encouraging everyone to earnestly desire spiritual gifts so that we might prophesy, I think he is doing it with the understanding that we are now living in a new age of the Holy Spirit who empowers all of us to minister to people with the gifts that he has given us. Everybody. Not just clergy, not just elders, not just deacons, not just people who stand in the front. But everybody, if you are a believer in Christ, you put your faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, everybody has been given gifts to do the works of ministry. So in that sense, there is no such thing as an ordinary believer, or better yet, there is no such thing as an 
extraordinary believer, there is only an extraordinary God and an extraordinary Holy Spirit who animates and empowers and fills ordinary believers so that we can do the works that God has called us to do. Now, if that's the case, why don't we always do it? Eh, a variety of reasons. I alluded to one. We, we just may not believe it, right? Uh, we may have some fear and we're afraid to pursue it. We may be uh, too distracted and so we aren't paying attention to what God may even be saying to us or prompting us. But even though we aren't always faithful, I think we can say this, that God's desire is to speak to us, to encourage us, to build us up, to console us in our suffering, to empower us, to fill us, because he is a God of love. Allah, 1 Corinthians 13, right? That's what he wants. And so, I don't know. Maybe we experience it, prophetic words. Maybe we don't. My encouragement, just be open to it um, and desire it. <laughs> desire it. Now, let me just end with one practical thing. Um, <clears throat> if you have a good understanding of what the Bible says, if you believe in the authority of Scripture, uh, I think you have good guardrails, meaning that uh, I think you can, if you're a little bit afraid to say a word of prophecy, but if the word is in you and you, you really meditated on the word and you feel like you know God through his word, I think you have good guardrails to pre prevent you from saying something that will get you off the road. So if God tells you, um, I think you should slander this person and, uh, through gossip and try to get this person fired, um, you're probably wrong, right? Because the Bible would probably be against that and say, don't slander people. But there are times where maybe you think God is telling you to do something or encouraging you with something that is actually consistent with the Bible. I think you should feel very free and liberated to speak those words, okay? Um, maybe you feel like God is telling you to be generous and to support a certain work of ministry. I think you should follow that, that prompting or that feeling. Maybe God is, uh, you feel like God is telling you to reconcile with someone and that person that you've been in conflict with just kind of keeps popping up what should you do? Go reconcile with someone. God may be speaking to you to reconcile, and that is completely biblical. Uh, pastor John, who some of you know, a previous pastor, by the way, on uh, my sabbatical, he'll be here preaching a few times. Uh, he has this phrase. He calls it just-in-case theology. And he says, if you think God is telling you to do something and it's consistent with what the Bible says, then do it, just in case, right? Maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe he's not. But just do it, just in case. So, you know, he, he does it all the time. Sometimes he feels like God just wants him to talk to a person. It's not a person he knows. It could be just like a random stranger on the bus. It could be like a random person in the coffee shop. And he just feels like, I feel like God wants me to talk to this person. Well, what, what is there to lose? I'm going to talk to this person just in case, right? And he goes and he talks to that person. And, you know, I think it's true. Maybe God didn't want wanted him to talk to that person. And if so, then great. Something fruitful will come out of it. Maybe it wasn't God, right? Maybe it was something else. But... Uh, what does he really have to lose? Uh, he could show this person kindness and generosity, and it's okay. So um, Pastor John says, um, if you feel God is saying something to you, speak it just in case. Let me say a second thing. You know, I, I said last week that I don't experience visions um, very frequently, and I told you about a vision I had of a ball of fire when we were um, uh, on the Silk Road Prayer March a couple summers ago. And I didn't tell you other parts of the story, but as I share that, 
uh, Pastor John actually interpreted that vision with, through the word. And he said, well, you know, in Ezekiel, in the prophet Ezekiel, there is this picture or imagery of a ball of fire. And uh, in, that, uh, in that prophecy, that imagery, what it represents is uh, God coming actually in judgment and destroying uh, the kingdoms of this world. And so, right, that, even that vision, if you interpret it that way, even if it wasn't God speaking, it's still a right vision, right? <laughs> it's still biblical. And you say, yeah, God is actually speaking. We can know with a sense of finality that God has spoken to us because it's something that's consistent with his word. Now, what if it's something that you're not sure about? Uh, maybe God wants, you feel like, does God want me to, I don't know, leave this church, leave this city, uh, quit my job, like those kinds of things? Um, there, you know, use discernment, seek counsel, right? It, there's a whole bunch of other things you can do, but don't be close to the fact that, yeah, maybe God is speaking to you. We all want to be led by God. When we're not uh, in a position where we're open to being led by God, you know where that leads us? In a state of confusion. And we have like all these options. I could do this. Do I want to do this? I could do this. Do I want to do this? I could do this. Do I want to do this? Um, the simplest thing, seek the Lord's will. See if he's speaking to you. And see if he's giving you a conviction of heart. And be open to it. And desire the gift of prophecy. And be open to maybe other people speaking into your life as well. Not receiving it as the infallible word. Right? Use discernment and be open to the fact that perhaps God is speaking to you through this word of prophecy. How is that? Is it okay? All right. I was a little nervous about giving this message. It's a little outside of my box, but um, good. Um, I do think if we're more open to it, and I, I know some people here are probably uncomfortable with it. Um, I don't know. I think you just kind of have to uh, try to get to a place where you're more comfortable with it. I think there's potential for great encouragement and great building up of faith. And I think uh, my hope is as we grow maybe more open to it, um, one, I don't want us to go off the rails, right? Um, but two, I want us to be encouraged by what God might be saying to us. So let's, uh, let's enter into a time of prayer. And I actually want to give you some, maybe some time uh, on your own and say, um, you know, just say, tell God if this is something that you desire, which I'm trying to encourage you to desire, just say, God, uh, would you speak to me? Uh, if this is a gift that you have and a gift that you want to give to me, would you give me this gift? Um, and if you don't feel like you know um, there's no clarity in terms of maybe what God is saying or speaking, uh, pray and say, God, I'm not sure there's clarity, but could you give me clarity? Uh, perhaps through you know, something crazy that I can't even imagine, perhaps even through a prophetic word. And you know, let's see what God does, right? Let's see what God does. So just pray for a little bit, and then I'll, I'll close us.